Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today we're finishing our series on intercession. And we're focusing on the purpose, the power of fasting when used in conjunction with prayer. We've seen that fasting reinforces prayer. It isn't to twist God's arm. God's already very willing to move and to answer prayers. Uh, he's already speaking. So it's not trying to make God speak or do something but it's to get ourselves in position to hear and receive and be a channel for God's power to flow. Because the problem we have is that there's, we walk in the spiritual realm and the natural realm, but often we're too well tuned into the natural realm and we're not aware of the voice of the Spirit. We're tuned to the flesh and that means we're unhooked from the life of the Spirit. And so in prayer we focus on the Spirit, but we can reinforce our prayer by actually unhooking from the voice of the flesh. And we do that by fasting. We assert our dom dominion over our flesh. We say no to the voice of the flesh. And that establishes our spiritual life as more important. And so when our eyes are too much on the natural, we, there's a veil of unbelief that starts covering our heart and we feel less aware of the presence and the power of God. And so God's life can't flow as much as it as it should and so it helps fasting helps to bring our flesh under control so that combined with prayer when we focus on the Lord then uh, our spiritual life uh, with God becomes more dominant and the voice of the Spirit isn't drowned out by the voice of the flesh so fasting changes us not God and it re removes our unbelief and, you know, God is not withholding from us. The problem is we are not in position to receive. And so we need to remove the unbelief in our heart. And we do that by humbling ourselves with fasting. Now, we saw last time in Matthew 17 that uh, the story of the epileptic boy and the, the disciples could not cast out that evil spirit. Uh, and because they hadn't been very prayerful. They're, and as a result, they were full of natural unbelief, that what was in the natural was stronger than what was in the spiritual. They knew spiritually God, had, Jesus had promised them power over all demons. But in the natural, uh, they had been so impressed by the epileptic attack that they saw happening that they were overwhelmed by that. And so their natural unbelief stopped their faith working. They were too flesh conscious, not spirit conscious enough. And so they couldn't do it. And when Jesus uh, actually came and did it, he rebuked the demon and it left. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. That was the problem. Not because they lacked faith, but because of their unbelief. He said, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move, and nothing would be impossible to you. So they had the faith, but the unbelief meant their faith couldn't work. They were so preoccupied with the natural, they couldn't operate in the spiritual. And so they, the solution, therefore, was to remove that unbelief. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 17, 21, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. A lot of people think it's this kind of demon. It was especially powerful demon. No, it's this kind of unbelief. That The unbelief was the problem. 
this kind of unbelief doesn't go out through prayer and fasting. And so he told them how to fix the problem. He was saying, you need to remove that unbelief. How do you do that? Through prayer and fasting. Sometimes you add, have to add fasting to your prayer to remove that unbelief. And so Jesus gives the key here. It's God's ordained method for removing the unbelief that stops you hearing God and receiving from him. So if you need to get guidance from God, if you need to receive God from God, if you need to make some intercession and you are aware that there's unbelief um, getting in the way of, of your prayers, fasting is what you should do to draw near to God and to remove the unbelief that is crippling your heart in prayer. And so prayer, when especially when reinforced by fasting, will remove the unbelief and cause you to spiritual things to become much more real to you. And then as you're fasting, you're also feeding on the word of God instead of feeding on natural food. And so your faith is getting stronger. And at the same time, the voice of the flesh is being denied. It's, it's a bit like stargazing. I used to want, love looking at the stars. And you know, what you have to do is you have to, it takes 20 minutes or 30 minutes in the darkness where the natural lights are shut out and then your eyes begin to tune in and you see the stars really clearly. And so you have to pay a price. You have to deny yourself the natural lights in order to start seeing the heavenly lights. And so by denying yourself the natural food, you actually begin to tune in more uh, on God's light, God's revelation. And so prayer focuses the heart on the spirit of God so that the voice of the spirit is stronger. But fasting works on the other end of the equation. It shuts down the flesh, subduing its voice. It helps to bring our flesh and senses into line so that we're not dominated by them. So how much we can receive from God doesn't just depend on our faith, but also on how much we're under the dominion of our natural desires, because through that, unbelief can get in our hearts. And so these natural desires are of God. You know, he made us with these desires, but they're not to rule us. And so sometimes we've got to take control, and fasting is a practical way to do that. All right, so we want to um, really talk about what happens in the humbling of our soul, how it, how it changes us. You know, one of the, uh, before the healing revival in 1948 through the 50s, in, especially in America, there was a book written by Franklin Hall. He called The Atomic Power of Prayer and Fasting. He basically was saying normal prayer is like a normal bomb, but when you combine it with fasting, especially long fasts, uh, he was saying then it's like an atomic bomb by comparison. It takes it to another level. He called fasting supercharged prayer. And there was a big emphasis on fasting, and many people came into their ministries, healing ministries, through, through fasting in that way, prayer and fasting. Why would that be? Again, it's a matter of, get, of dealing with the flesh so that the Spirit of God can rule in our life. To understand this better, and I found this very helpful, you've got to understand that the soul has three primary need, needs or desires. 
First is the bodily satisfaction, food, and we could put sex in there too. The second is for material possessions, and the third is the ego needs, needs for status, approval, and so on, to be the center of attention. And, um, you know, these are natural desires, but they are not to rule us. We should, the dominant desire should be our desire for God, for intimacy with God. Now, of those desires, the most primal, the strongest, is the need for food. Um, and this is how Franklin Hall would teach it, and I think it's absolutely right. Uh, the, key, the problem is when our natural desires become too strong, then they're called inordinate desires or lusts. And they dominate us, and we're ruled by them. And the way Satan tempts us is through these three natural areas of natural desire. He tries to get his hooks into us by getting us to sin, by putting these natural desires above our spiritual desire for God. And so this is why fasting is, is, is crucial, because it's a way that we can assert control on the flesh where it counts. You see, that, that desire for food is, is, the, is the deepest, the strongest desire. How can you get the flesh under control? How can you get it by the scruff of the neck? Um, deal with the deepest controlling desire, which is for food. So you're, by that way, you're getting at the root of the flesh's power, and you get control back, dominion back over the flesh. To see the origin of this kind of battle with the flesh, let's go back to Genesis 3, the original temptation. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows that when in the day you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice the three areas now. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, that's the lust of the flesh, physical satisfaction, and that it was pleasant for the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes, the desire to possess, and the tree desirable to make one wise, that's the pride of life, okay? To be like God, to know good and evil. When she was tempted through all those three avenues, and she took of the fruit and she ate, and gave it to her husband also. And so these are the three areas of natural desire that Satan tries to work through and if we let ourselves be dominated by them, it becomes a lust. And 1 John 2 warns us about this. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. They shouldn't be the first thing. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So these things are competing with your relationship with God, your love for God. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life... Is not of the Father. Now again, these are natural desires. God wants to meet your needs and fulfill the desires. But the important thing is those desires must not rule you. The love of the Father must rule you. He says, then the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so it makes sense to put God first. When you put God first, he will also meet all your other needs and desires. So first of all, the lust of the flesh is the most basic, the strongest. It's the need of your body for food, but it also includes the need for stimulation and pleasure 
from taking substances in your body, and, and of course that's the root of many addictions. The lust of the eyes is the desire for material things, for mammon. Uh, it's the desire to possess the things you see. The pride of life is the need and the desire of your ego for approval, for applause, for status, for power, for control, for success, to be the most important, to be the center of attention, to be admired, appreciated. Again, this is, it's natural to feel the need for those things, but the key is, does it rule your life? Does it control you? Because it should really be the love of the Father that controls you. All of these are valid desires, but they're not meant to control us. Okay, they're meant to be subject to our desire for God, for fellowship with God, to please God. We've got to let God satisfy our deepest desires, and then these natural things will find their right place. So, if you yield to these things, what happens is your spiritual life shuts down and you become controlled by unbelief. Backsliders, how does that happen? They get overwhelmed by selfish desires for pleasures, money, things, and so on, and they lose sight of God. Pursuing these lusts leaves them no time for God. Their spirit gets submerged under the cares, the pleasures of life. And soon they don't even have time to worship God for two hours a week on a Sunday. And you can't really tell any difference from them and unbelievers. You see, that's how Adam and Eve fell. They gave in to those desires. They put them above their desire and their obedience, their desire to please God and obey him. And from that time on, these natural desires have ruled mankind, and Satan has got his hooks into people through those desires. And through yielding to those desires, their hearts become hardened to God, and that's what we mean by unbelief. And that's why fasting is important, because through fasting, we can readdress the balance. When our natural desires are too strong, and we feel away from God, fasting can bring those natural desires in line and give us a chance to reawaken and strengthen our spiritual desire for God. I believe this is a very deep truth that uh, un helps us understand so much. In fasting, then, the power of the flesh will be weakened. The power of your ego, the power of your desire for things will be weakened if you do it in the right way, and that will open you up to the life of God. What will happen as you fast is that you'll become more aware, as you humble yourself, you'll become more aware of how these desires have controlled you too much. And you'll then be able to deal with them. And so fasting aids repentance. Jesus, of course, was tested in every point, in all these three areas. And he knew he was going to come under great attack from Satan. He was trying to stop him, enter into his ministry. And so how did he prepare himself? By fasting for 40 days and meditating on God's word, filling himself with God's word, but at the same time shutting down the voice of his flesh. And then he was perfectly prepared to deal with Satan when Satan tried to, tried to tempt him. Um, and how did Satan try to tempt him? By appealing to the desires of his flesh, because Jesus was a man. He was God, but he was also a man. And so he was tested, just like Adam and Eve were. Now, let's look at the three tests of Satan, which cover those three very same three areas. And the test in each case is, would he put his own needs and desires first, or God's will first, his desire to please God first? 
The first temptation, the devil said, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Well, he, he, he was hungry. And so this is the lust of the flesh. And Satan tried to get him to put his physical desire above the, the desire for God's. And so Jesus answered, deals with that. He says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, he established that the word of God, and this is what you do in a fast, you establish that the word of God comes before your natural food. That's more important to you. And so by replacing food with the word of God, you are, again, asserting your spiritual life with God above your natural desires. And so this also shows that meditating on the word is part of that fasting. That's what Jesus was doing. He was living by every word from the mouth of God. Now, the second temptation, he was tempted by the lust of his eyes. This is when Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, you can have all of this. You can possess all of the glory and the possessions of the world. And he said, just bow down and worship me. Put your lust of the eyes before your relationship with God. And so, Jesus, in that case, he asserted the supremacy of his relationship with God. He said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so, Jesus established that being close with God, loving him, was more important than possessing everything that the world had to offer. And, and really, he fasted not just food, but by being in the wilderness, he fasted all kinds of natural stimulation. You know, sometimes you might give up TV as part of your fast for that same reason. You want to put away the lust of your eyes. And in order to see what God shows you. And so in the fast, we are to worship God. We are to look to God um, and put away looking at other things. That way we get dominance over the lust of the eyes. So a full fast is to deny your soul of all natural pleasures and stimulation to afflict the soul. Now the third temptation of Jesus, Satan attacked him in the area of the pride of life by trying to get him to exalt himself, to get on top of the tallest building, the pinnacle of the temple, throw himself down, and then he would literally fly as the angels held him up. And that would make him very popular. Everyone would, would bow down to him. And Jesus, that would be tempting on the pride of life. But Jesus established the principle that he would not assert his will above God's will. In fact, he had dedicated himself to put God's will first and submit to God's will. And so he said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so fasting is a time for us to humble ourselves before God, to humble our plans before God, our thoughts before God, and ask for God's will to be done. Um, fasting, you see, is crucial at crisis times of your life. When you really need to hear God, you have to put aside your own thoughts. You humble all your own ideas before God and you just come before God to hear him. You see, Jesus at crisis times, he would fast. Because Satan comes at those times with those pressures to pull you in the wrong direction. By fasting, you, you bring your natural desires into line so that you can submit to God's will. So it, fasting helps bring your life into balance. Most people live in the realm where their natural 
desires are too strong. They're being controlled by those. They're only hearing the natural. The spiritual is very faint. Fasting and prayer, you readdress that balance. You bring your life back where it needs to be, where your, the voice of the Spirit is stronger than the voice of your flesh. Fasting helps repentance. Again, the Day of Atonement was a day to, of repentance. Fasting actually helps you bring your natural desires into line. You see that you've been, they have been too strong and you can turn and repent. Fasting was used for guidance in the early church when they needed to have guidance from their missionary work or to appoint elders. They would fast. And why is that important? Because if you just follow your flesh, you'll get it wrong. You need to, to deal with the flesh in fasting. Then you are open to hear from God, hear from heaven, and he can show you the way you should go. Jehoshaphat, he did fasting. 2 Chronicles 20, it says, they were under attack. He didn't know what to do. The problem was too big. What should you do in that kind of crisis? Pray and fast. Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast, to seek the Lord. O oh God, we have no power against this great multitude coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And fasting helps you get your eyes on God, to seek God and to humble yourself. And as a result, they got supernatural guidance and a great victory over their enemies. In crucial moments, the people of God would fast. And it helps us turn to God for supernatural help because we're renouncing our dependence on the natural to invoke the supernatural. Fasting is an essential part of intercession. That famous verse in Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that means fast, you humble your soul. So first of all, fast and pray and seek my face. And that's what they're to do, that fasting helps their praying to seek, Lord, I'm seeking your face, and to reinforce that, I'm not going to focus on anything natural, I'm going to fast. And when that happens, what happens is that your wicked ways come to light, that you've been being pulled in the wrong direction in your life. And so it says, as you do that, then you also turn from your wicked ways. As they become real to you, as you come into the presence of God, you see where you've missed it, and then you turn from those wicked ways. Then God says, I'll hear from heaven and hear, forgive the sin and heal the land. In other words, as you intercede for your nation through prayer and fasting, you release healing into the land. Praise God. And so, also in, the, in Joel chapter 2 is the chapter where, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in verse 28. But before that, the people of God fasted. Verse 12. Now says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. So fasting helps you turn to God and weep over your sin. He says, and rend your heart and not your gardens, and turn to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. And as a result of that fasting and praying, the, the Holy Spirit, the rain was outpoured for the harvest, and the that's also a picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out in revival, and that's what we want, isn't it? And so the Bible records many answers to prayer in, in when fasting was mixed with it. Supernatural protection in Ezra, deliverance from in a crisis in Esther, the rain 
of, of, of revival in Joel and guidance. Fasting, the famous fasting chapter is Isaiah 58. And here the people are complaining that God isn't hearing their prayers when they fast. And God says, the trouble is, you are not repenting. You are uh, doing it as an ego thing. He says it's actually a day for a man to afflict his soul. He says you're, you're doing it as a religious exercise to impress man, but you should be doing it to make your voice to be heard on high. And then he goes on and says the, the fast that I want is to loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, that you may break every yoke. Then your light will break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness will go before you the glory of the lord will be your rear guard the, if you fast correctly that releases the power and the anointing and the blessing of god it brings about answered prayer he says then you'll call and the lord will answer your cry and he'll say here i am he says um, the blessings are released tremendously. Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. These are all the rewards of a good fast with prayer. You shall build the old waste places. If you turn away your foot from doing your own pleasure, on my holy day, on that fast day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you will delight yourself in the Lord, you'll find your satisfaction in him, and I will cause you to ride on the high places of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And here is the promise that if you fast with a good attitude, not to exalt yourself, but to humble yourself. And rather than to meet your own needs, you actually uh, desires, you seek to satisfy your desires in intimacy with God and receiving his word. And then when you do that, this is going to release such a, a great outpouring of life. I want to introduce you to two of my books that will nourish your spiritual growth, Growing Up Spiritually, the, key, the keys that you need to, for a consistent, strong spiritual growth in your life. And the second book is The Sabbath Issue, which really explains the law of Moses, the law of Christ, and how we are to walk in God's will today, and how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. I think you will find this answers so many questions for you. You can order these books by going to www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or phoning 01865 515086. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk where you can also make a donation to our ministry or contact us on 01865 515086